Good morning, Interweb. Welcome back to the Artifact Scene podcast in this month's episode. Outlander, it did me dirty. The difference between collectives and collectives. There's another mutiny in a cairn. Shocking stuff, I know. I present Bill with a nominal number system proposal and we finish up with a discussion of the upcoming amendments to the Irish Constitution. All that, plus lots more, in this month's episode. Is, is today's episode, is the 100th episode, isn't it? 84 in base 12? Uh, yes. Yeah, I think that, that sounds right. Of the full, like the full episodes, not including, uh-huh. not, not including halves and bonuses and things. Yeah, uh, 8.04 is the 100th episode. Boy, we I, I, I literally forgot about that. I forgot about that up until just right now. Uh, so we've nothing special planned for this anniversary. I guess we're going to have to have some sort of special anniversary on the, uh, the what is it, the Mo 1144, 100 in base 12. Yeah. Um, which is about three the years away. A gross episode. A gross episode. The gross episode. Uh, so that's about three years away. So I've lots of time to think about, which is which is nice. Um, okay. I have very, very, very brief follow-up here. Um Quick one here, point point number one, Outlander. We talked last, or I talked last episode about the TV show Outlander, mm-hmm. uh, which just without spoilers, uh, you put it very nicely. You're like handsome Scotsman, time travel. Yeah, yeah, that's basically it. It's a time travel program uh, featuring a handsome handsome Scotsman and his uh, time traveling wife plus assorted other people. It's very good. Um, and I had made mention in the previous episode that what I found very novel about it is that they were just, the, the time travelers were just going about mucking with history without any consideration as to what this might do. And no one ever talks about it. Like no one sits mm-hmm. down and has the sort of the butterfly effect conversation or just out there preventing wars, you know, making discoveries that are, you know, are hundreds of years off, etc. And I found that really refresh, refreshing. Um, and I guess in my mind's eye, kind of the the sort of canon for that universe was kind of like for me, anyways, was no matter what you do, it will always result in the future that has already happened. You know, so like you could come back and you know um, invent guns before guns were invented, but whatever reason, fate will just like um, contrive it such that the future will still remain the future. Like your invention doesn't take off etc something like that and i thought that was a really nice kind of like um vibe to the universe you know you can go back in time you can muck with things uh, but ultimately it won't actually matter and the future will be the future um so i was really enjoying that and the captain and i have continued watching outlander and as of season six uh, they have slowly started doing the well-trodden territory of having the sort of moral philosophizing about should we be doing this um Mild spoilers, skip ahead 30 seconds here, folks, if, if you don't want to hear it. Um, at one stage, the uh, the main character, our main one of our main protagonists, uh, decides that they need to in- invent penicillin because uh, they're a healer and no penicillin has been invented. And the daughter of said character has a fairly long and protracted conversation about like, but what about the future? And it was just, I was so disappointed. It was just all so novel until they started doing this. So Outlander, follow-up is Outlander. I am disappointed in you. I didn't get an option to skip that spoiler, Edgar. <laughs> no, but sure, that's what you get. That's one of the drawbacks of being a host of the show. 
you get all the benefits of being a host, but you know, every every silver lining has a cloud. Free entry into every elite world builder's lounge in the world. Yeah, all all of those lounges that that exist, those exactly zero elite world builders lounges, mm-hmm. um, or unless you want to count the Zoom waiting screen, the landing page as as a world builders lounge for this podcast, then I guess there's one. Um, it's kind of a nice idea. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> when we do our our, our uh, Christmas quiz, everyone gets to enter the elite world building lounge for a portion. Um, yes. So that was Outlander. Disappointed you, Outlander. The only other item of follow-up I have is uh, just in response to you slash, and I'm going to pronounce this username wrong, Ibn Iskander. Uh, I think that's, an, and I'm going to pronounce this word wrong, Arabic, Arabic name, uh, or username at least. Um, we were chatting in the Reddit for the previous episode about uh, collective nouns because we had talked singular plural uh, we had talked number distinctions in the previous episode uh, with respect to Ibeski. Um and I had brought up the concept of a thing called the collective or collective nouns uh, in the sense of uh, some sort of marking going on a noun to tell the listener to treat them as a as a unit right remember this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do so distinction between the stick and say many sticks, but consider them as a unit, you get like a bundle or firewood or something like that. Um, now, I, I I try to on on air uh, mention that like the term collective is used for a whole bunch of things that are kind of vaguely overlapping and it's quite confusing. Um, so I'm either going to clear up matters here or make things even worse. Probably the latter, given my track history, but that's never stopped me before. Um, so... Um, there is two different senses, two main senses that you can use the term collective here in this context. And that's uh, what like Welsh does and what uh, Arabic or Arabic or however you pronounce it does. And then in the sense that I was using on the last show. So um, with Welsh, for example, you have like a collective versus singulative distinction in some nouns, question mark. I think it's some nouns, not all nouns, uh, where the, the base unmarked form of the noun is uh, kind of neither singular nor plural. I think that's what's what was the technical way of describing it in 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 Welsh, uh, and then to specifically make it singular, you have to attach some sort of marking onto it, which is kind of like almost like the reverse of what we do. Um, so it'd be like the word pig means like a pig or many pigs. Who knows? But if you specifically want to say one pig, you have to do like pigs and add something onto it, etc. Um, right. That's like a collective singulative distinction. Um, that is an entirely different thing from what we were talking about, where it's like you take it now and you add marking on it to be like, treat this as a new unit. You know, think of all these entities not as individuated entities, but as kind of bound together to form a new unit. Again, the the difference between, and it's derivational, so the difference between like a stick and then sticks in the collective, meaning like a bundle of sticks um, or firewood, etc. They're They're just two different things. Um, I've almost certainly explained that really badly, um, but just, I guess the main take home there, if that is confusing, is that this is kind of not really our fault. It's just the fault of uh, linguistic terminology here, at least outlined by Corbett, uh, where he, uh, I'll link to show notes, I'll link in the show notes to that work as well, uh, where he is like, yeah, listen, I'm going to use the term collective, just y'all need to know it's been used in many disparate ways before. I'm sorry. Here we go. Um, Yeah. And it, it, it often happens, or at least I'm often confused with terminology and linguistics when I come across it. So um, just want to give a shout out to that. I think that made sense to me. Good, for good. What that's worth. 
Good. That's that's wonderful. Now, it, it, but there's a distinction between making sense and being correct. <laughs> you can make sense and be utterly wrong. I'm hoping that's I'm true. correct as well. Uh, I think I am, anyways. Um, yeah. So that's that's the only items of follow up I have. Um, I have to go on. Um, main topic, <laughs> or have you got something to add? Uh, I don't really think I do. Right. Okay. So, um, possibly the world's earliest foray into world building. Uh, but but here we are. Um, what do you got for us, Bill? Uh, we have a letter from Benvin, or sorry, from Servet, the commander of the company depot in Hoitan, uh, writing to Benvin back in head office somewhere about a mutiny. Mutinies? These never happen. Everything's always so peaceful in here, you know? (laughs) Benvin. Last night, a mutiny took place in the Hoitan colony town, fomented by agitationist elements in the civilian population and aided by traitors within company forces. I will assure you firstly that the mutineers have been suppressed and the situation is once again under complete company control. Though proper authority has been re-established, these events signal to us a grave lack of security in the colony project and reveals the extent to which the agitationist sickness has spread through Abeski society. About halfway between curfew and midnight, a band of colonists armed with tools stolen from the workshops exited through the gate of the colony town and proceeded towards the depot. The soldiers on the colony gate were confederates of the rebellion and allowed them to pass unhindered. The gate of the depot was guarded by some loyal soldiers and some mutineers, and upon the colonists' arrival there was a brief skirmish in the gatehouse, during which the gate was opened and the colonists entered. The commotion had raised a general alarm inside the depot, and so the rebels did not proceed far in their aims, as a stout resistance from the Night Watch halted them in their attempt to take the command building. Being thus frustrated, the colonists then began to wreck and smash in the general vicinity, a destruction that carried on for several minutes until a relief force of marines roused from the barracks came upon their rear and subdued the mob. A small band led by a mutinous soldier managed to slip away and made for the ships, but were prevented from boarding their chosen prize by the vessel's crew, and were killed in the action when the pursuing marines once more came upon them from behind. Thus order was re-established. The ringleaders of the mutiny have been identified through interrogation of the prisoners. Our investigations are ongoing, and we seek to determine whether this was a singular event or part of a greater campaign of action and whether further agitationists remain among the two populations. The full extent of military discipline will be applied to all the prisoners, whether company or civilian, as an example. I accept no responsibility in this affair. The fault lies entirely with the failure to properly screen candidates from Lansk to remove those with insurrectionist sympathies. I draw to your attention a previous letter in which the difficulty of keeping a disciplined separation between the two populations was highlighted. 
No further consideration was given to these concerns by the office nor the military commission. The company forces, seeking discourse with their fellow citizens, were naturally drawn to meet with the civilian colonists. The colonists, for their part, were placed in an unfamiliar land and were naturally drawn to the safety found in the fellowship of company troops. In such a situation it was nigh impossible to prevent the mixing of the two populations, and to do so would have required a level of brute discipline that could only have had a destructive effect upon general morale. In this circumstance, and allowing for the insidious propaganda of agitationists to become disseminated in secret, mutiny was inevitable. I await the commission and the officer's rapid response, and will update you as more information becomes uncovered. Servit to Ovnien, Depot Commander Hoytan. Woo! I'm I'm suddenly reminded, Bill, of the sort of the the hardship I had last month trying to find music, um, for to go underneath your prose, um, I I just it, I just had flashbacks and was like, oh god, that's ahead of me again, trying to trawl through the public domain and finding some sort of music that fits. Uh, it's becoming increasingly difficult to find music that fits for some reason, um. But yeah, that is neither here nor there, just a thought that occurs. Uh, nicely done, nice bit of prose, thank you. Thank you. Um, do you, as always, you should give a little recap here. In particular, uh, I think a brief summary of what's going on in Hoytan, Ori, this colony town. Like a big, uh, bit of a, um, a story to date on, on that would be mm-hmm. kind of cool. And then give us a little bit about the uh, the two characters involved here. The sender, Servit to Ovnian, and the receiver, Benvin. So, um, this setting is... Um, no, I'm not going to... Never mind, I'm not going to go and explain the whole setting. <laughs> you're um, you're going to go right from the beginning. So, in 1980-something, I was born. At about <laughs> seven years of age, I got really interested in fiction, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so, the, the immediate setting here is a new colony town set up by the Tamar Company, who are a sort of militarized trading company. Something like, uh, you know, the East India or the Royal Africa Company. Of, of our history. Um, they have uh, depots, like military and trading depots, all, all, all over their, their range, but they're trying to set up like new kind of cities, and that's what this colony town is. It's relatively new. Um, and a lot of the people inhabiting that town are more or less prisoners, or have been sort of forcibly moved um, from, from the, the cities they came from, and are now... Uh, made to work and 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 live in in these distant colony towns, and there has been a mutiny. Again, unheard of, unheard of, unheard of, unheard of. Usually, it's such a socially stable society. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And give us the TLDR on Benvin and Servit. Benvin is high up in the Tamar Company. Um, I can't remember if I. If I've established exactly what Benvin's uh, role or position is called, uh, but there's someone, someone high up in the in the infrastructure of the company, and Servit is the commander of the depot, and kind of by extension, the the defense and security of the company town is under his his remit as well. Um, the depot is 
built the, the company town is built beside the depot. They're not the same thing. There's like a, a small distance between them. Servit is a he. Interesting. I'm assuming Benven is a he as well. Yes. So usually yeah. with Abeski names, um, uh, names ending with consonants will tend to be masculine names. Names ending with vowels will tend to be feminine names. Oh, it's getting dangerously close to talking about class. We need to do that at some other stage. Um, class is in the grammatical thing, not class. Yeah, no, in I, the, I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh boy, you're gonna want you're gonna want noun class, aren't you? You totally are. I don't want to do noun class. I'm gonna oh. want what? Noun class. You're gonna want class. Not especially. Um, I mean. Oh, good. That would be great. Let's pit, put a pin on that for, for later. Uh, later, as in next podcast, not this podcast. Yeah. Um. But okay, okay. So Servit, Servit, and Benvin are a part of the lads. Um. Actually, just a, a little bit of gender politics here. Is mm-hmm. there um? What sort of what's the sex ratio here in terms of um positions high up in the Tamara company? Um. This this is sphere. How's the glass ceiling do doing here? Has it been shattered? Can can women too also be mercantile colonists? Um, yeah, no, it's it's a it's a kind of liberal dream. You know, women can do all the war crimes and colonialism <laughs> as well. Sure. Okay. Okay. So it wouldn't be entirely strange if, like, the, I don't know, the CEO of the Tamara Company in the future happened to be uh, a woman. That's just normal. Fine. Yeah. Not 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 at all. Not at all. Not there, at all. There, okay. there isn't um, the same kind of historical uh, gender discrimination that uh, real world societies tend to have. Yeah. Which again, I, I, I kind of like that bit of nuance in this culture in that, like I've said it before, we're meant to dislike them for their like horrible takes on other people, their colonialism, their extreme, well, I don't know if extreme capitalism would be the correct term, but I guess extreme, I guess that probably is it. Um, but then at the same time, you know, they're they're not a racist society necessarily. Um, and they're not a sexist society. So it's kinda of like, oh, those are things we actually enjoy. Like we at least you and I, I'm and assume everyone listening, uh, value these qualities. So I, I like the mix of kind of good good qualities and bad qualities in this culture. It's 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 good. Because I think sometimes um people tend to or at least many years ago, people tended to world build their utopias. Um, which is also, which is fine. Like, you know, there's no rules here. You can do whatever you want, but it's almost more interesting to do the reverse, like world build, like, like a Margaret Atwood sort of thing, like world build a setting that is exactly what you don't want the world, uh, to be or become. Um, and that's almost a more interesting kind of endeavor, you know? Um, yeah. Anyhow. Yeah. Anyhow, I, I wasn't going explicitly for a utopia or a dystopia. Um, and <clears throat> I didn't really have the a lot of the details in mind at all when I started out writing this setting. It's just kind of, it's kind of grown organically. And some elements I was thinking, I will have this. Some I was thinking, I'm not going to have that. I mean, there's there's plenty of um, ways you could not have uh, sexism. And yeah, yeah, just, yeah. Like, yeah I'm kind of a, I don't I don't want to recreate that specific. Uh, real world unpleasantness. I'm going to recreate just different ones instead. Yeah, like you you don't you don't want to recreate like you know British culture of during peak colonial times completely. You know, yeah. um, you want to go for something fresh. I uh, speaking of um, of not having these things in mind. Can you recall what the sort of like initial impetus for this was? Like, what did you have in mind initially, or did you remember writing your first piece? Low those like twenty years ago. Uh, <laughs> What were you thinking then? 
so this this is on one planet in uh, a multi-inhabited planet system. Yeah. Um, so I guess the the most relevant answer to your question is when I first wrote for this planet, this like specific setting. Um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I wanted to have a sort of a planetary romance kind of thing, which is a, a kind of genre of fiction where an Earth guy goes somewhere else and he's a big strong guy there because they have lower gravity or whatever. Um, you totally haven't delivered on that bit at all, have you? Well, not in the um, not in the the world traveler part of thing, but uh, they have they tend to have um, monsters. They have lots of like uh, big mm. scary monsters in in these settings, and I've made a couple of efforts to put that kind of thing in with the the Urselk and the uh, the Arvix, um, and such. Uh, but I, I kind of thought of it logically. Well, they've got lower gravity here, so maybe they have uh, easier access to like things like airships. And from that, I was like, okay, well, airships. That led me to the idea of having something like a, a militarized trading company. Um, and then it just ended up that the uh, the real monster of the setting was uh, rampant capitalism. <laughs> and here we are, twenty years later, still doing. Here we are. You, you should lean into some of the more. I don't know if it's now to, uh, not a good idea to lean into the planetary romance romance stuff, but you should do. I think, particularly because you've set up the Bene as being like um, people that travel between worlds. Yeah. in this thing to do something i guess it's, maybe you've written yourself in a bit of a corner here because i know the bunny are meant to be like very secretive so it would not be entirely fitting to write something from the pers- perspective of a bunny and have them just tell all their secrets to us the listener um but then it's also quite difficult to do the interplanetary stuff through someone who isn't a Bene, because as far as I'm aware, the Abeski can't just hop on a skyship and skyship their way towards a different planet. They cannot. Yeah, yeah. Um, you you definitely need to do something with the Bene, or not. Now I'm suddenly thinking that maybe that's just a cool little aside, that like there are in fact, there is in fact a culture that travels between worlds, and we never really talk about that. That's just one big giant J.J. Abrams mystery box type thing. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh- I do know some of what's going on with them. Um, well, thankfully, you're the one writing the setting. But I don't know how to get into that in, in the writing. And also, like, just on on Ikern, the name of this planet, um, it's just, it's been focused on other stuff. And the Bene are kind of tangential at the moment. At the moment? Oh, so you are kind of like, you have been planning and scheming a little bit so actually that's another question another meta question I'm, we'll get to actually talking about this piece of prose in a second um are you just like for want of a better term winging it week on week being like oh crap or month on month like oh crap i have to write something uh, what's an actual continuation of what we have that'll do or are you kind of grand planning this do you have a cork board on the wall with like lots of threads tying things together how are you how are you doing this it's, it's more the former than the latter Okay. Okay. Is that a good or a bad thing for you? Um, it is the only way I know to be. Okay. Okay. That has um, that. I feel like that has a negative connotation there. You would you would enjoy it if that would be the other way. I would like to be able to do it the other way, but my it does approaching it that way doesn't work for me right now. Your sensibilities don't don't lead you down that road. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. I mean, if if I was to try something longer form, I'd probably have to do that, and I think that would be a very interesting um, experience to do that. And I have kind of certain conclusions in mind, and a sort of a a couple of arcs in mind. Um, but because I I produce like a a short piece once a month, um, it's it's a little difficult to get a lot of progression done. Although I think I think the series the or the setting has progressed uh, quite a bit since since I started writing it. Like there's there is a it it started out as this society and now we are quite a way into the beginnings of a, a major societal change. Yeah, yeah, we are, we are for sure, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, God, my natural response is to be like we should record podcasts more often, but then I realize I can't really do that with other work. Mm. Um, oh man. If this podcast were kind of like uh, financially stable, such that it could be like um, one of our jobs or preferably two of our jobs, uh, I would totally make this, a, 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 try and make this like a weekly thing uh, for every week. There's a new bit of prose because you, you write, at least from what I could see, you write blindingly fast. Like you've been known to kind of like, you know, in the hours before recording, just come up with a thing. Mm-hmm. Um so that would that would nearly suit as well the ability to have like a weekly. Do you remember a podcast called Welcome to Night Vale? Yeah. Do you know what that is? Yeah, that's sort of like vibe. Like every week we get an insight into this world, and the world just kind of progresses. Because you're dead right. On a monthly basis, it takes these arcs take a long time to play out, which isn't exactly bad. But I'd imagine possibly yourself and listeners would be like, if it was weekly, we could do something. We could have this move quicker. Um, but hey doesn't matter who cares this is long form in terms of like space uh, not spatialness in, cur- in terms of temporality um so uh, anyhow anyhow where was i oh god we were on such a tangent there um you had you had talked about what the co- what the colony town is what the tamar companies do doing in 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 hoi tan fyi folks hoi tan is the island at the top right of your screen if you're watching on youtube um and you talk about benvin and servit excellent so, um, the, let's talk about some stuff that I had highlighted. The first thing I had from the initial paragraph is the very first sentence. Last night, a mutiny took place in the Hoi Tan colony town, fomented by agitationist elements in the civilian population and aided by traitors within company forces. Anything on that traitors and company forces? Is this a large problem? Are people struggling to keep, are the, are the companies struggling to keep their workers under wraps? Is this an isolated instance? What are we thinking here? Um, historically, it hasn't been a huge problem. There was one significant um, event where a vessel called, I think, the Nomad. The Nomad, yeah. yeah. Mutinied. Um, and, but it's it's not like an ongoing thing where they're all constantly worried about the, the Marines defecting or whatever. Um well, that said, there, there there was a bit of concern that uh, scouts, particularly in Hoi Tan, were becoming a, a little over fond of the the indigenous uh, population there, um, and they were they were going, going full native. Mohawk. Yeah. Say again. Go. They were going full mo- Mohawk. Yeah, they they um, they were kind of becoming like sympathetic to yeah. uh, to the native Hoitani and um breaking away and that was 
mid-worse by another co- company um, massacring a bunch of, of Hoytani people and that damaged relations in general with um, between the, the Hoytani and all of Esky of any company. Um, but it's not like, you know, back in the in the hometowns that there's there's a a, a lot of um, discontent among company troops. That's not a huge concern. What would be the motivation for discontent with the company troops? Because surely they have a kushti, right? Surely they're like, they got decentish gigs in the, uh, in the company. They're treated well because they're part of the mm-hmm. power structure. Um, like I can see why the grounds folk are like, we despise these companies. Let's do something about it. But why would the, yeah, the workers in the companies um, feel the need to go traitor? Well, they're grounds folk too. Oh, okay, okay, well, all right, okay. So, the, so we're, we're when we say traitors in the companies, we're talking like low level people. Like we're not talking like management. Or, or... Yeah, like like it's literally like soldiers mutinying. So Marines okay, mutinying. Yeah, 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 yeah. so I mean, you know, there probably would be some officers who would who would have have sympathies, but you know, morals and and class solidarity, and especially in this context where all these people have been displaced from Lansk, um, so the soldiers are hearing what happened there and that how there was this, this kind of um undiscriminating crackdown after the 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 companies and the the city took back control from the insurrection in Lansk and some of the soldiers were like that's terrible that shouldn't be happening yeah it sounds like the, yeah it really does sound like the the companies being involved in Hoytan is a bit of a mistake like you said with like moving all the people from lands to to the to Hoitan. Is there mm-hmm. what is the what is the thing that's being extracted from Hoitan? What is the resource? What's the, the, the importance of Hoitan? Uh, lumber, largely. Really, and like the said, lumber can't be found near Lansk. I guess what I'm getting at here is the sort of like, uh, are we in a situation where companies might consider this a failed endeavor and just be like, listen, we've 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 annoyed uh, enough of our own here. We need to just pull out, take them back to Lansk, etc., um, and forget we ever tried to establish a colony here on Hoytan. The yeah, that would be possible, uh, definitely possible, especially after this. Um, the The purpose of the colony isn't purely so they can uh, mine or forest better. It's it's also so that they can build a city that is theirs that they aren't kind of secondary in okay. power or like they, they don't have like a, a to pay lip service to a existing municipal power like they do in the main cities of the of the society um like there is a government of Lansk and there's a government of Mearsphere although the, the companies have a lot of power there here the companies are the, the controlling power of the the city if, if it becomes a proper city Oh, so it's, they want that it's theirs. Ah, uh, they want to build a new spire, one that they control. Yeah. Ah, I see. Oh, okay. That well, that lessens the sort of they might pull efforts out because that seems like it's a because if, if it was just for a bunch of wood, I'd be like, surely you can just find wood somewhere else. But yeah, and yeah. you know, if, if it was just that, then the depot could already do that to an extent, and they can bring in some workers, right? And, there's stuff yeah. they can do, but here it's the, it's trying to make something a little bit more established um, that is theirs. And at what point would it be considered a city? 
Like, how big is this settlement? Um, I don't know. A couple of hundred, no, no, less than a thousand, I would say. Okay, and what, what sort of number would you think of as forming a city on, on this world? Well, in, in a Besky culture, you'd probably have to build a spire. Oh, so it's little to do with the population, it's just the spire. Yeah, but I mean, you wouldn't get a spire unless there was enough population to build it and have it be uh, a viable thing to do. Um, the, like, you're not, you're not going to build a, a gigantic cathedral in, um, I don't know, name a small town somewhere in Ireland. Um, uh, Ballina. Is that small enough? Carrickmuck. Sure. Carrick sure. Muck a place? That sounds like it should be a place, Carrick Muck. <laughs> it's, it sounds like you if you made up a place, that's what you'd make up. Well, um, I know, I'm actually conv- convinced that's probably... Hold on, hold on. It probably uh, is. Because, like, Mwick, isn't that a pig or something? Or yeah. a pa- pig, so it could just be the rock of the pigs. Hold on. Yeah. Uh, Carrick... It's the collective form of pig, not the singular stuff. Sure, sure, exactly. Uh, okay, well, I'm getting a Carrick the Muck house. Um... Carignamuk. Yeah, I, I was close. I was close. Hold on. Carignamuk. I like the idea of, again, it, were this a giant podcast, suddenly, like, I don't know, the bloody citizens' information or whatever of Carignamuk gets bombarded by people listening to this podcast, being like, hey, you're on the Artifacting podcast. Uh, yeah, Carignamuk. And it literally means Rock of the Pigs. We are going to throw this town in Ireland in the show notes. And a population, do we have populations here? We have populations, oh wow, there's a population of 24 in 2011. That is not large at all. Right, so you're not going to build a cathedral there. No, no, Bill, Bill, don't, 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 don't get me distracted, this is fascinating, hold on one second, it, there's a mention of, of a, oh no, it's not a Disney castle, sorry, it's a Dripsy castle. Sorry, I, I saw, out of the corner of my eye, I saw Disney Castle, and I was like, wait a minute, is the Disney Castle uh, modeled after something from Carrick the Muck? But it, it is in fact not. Turns out, very little is occurring in Carrick the Muck. Uh, but anyway, anyway, yeah, so you're not going to get a spire there, correct. Uh, but again, just, just for, for my sort of, like, visualization, are we talking, like, a city being analogous to, say, like, London in the 1800s sort of thing? I mean, London in the 1800s was enormous, so well, that's probably what, that's not what, that big. Okay, okay, so, all right, okay. Um, was it was it enormous? Was it yeah. more enormous than, it can't be more enormous than it currently is, or was it just enormous relative to its peers at the time? I, I think it might have been the largest city in the world for, oh, no, hold on, hardly. Largest <laughs> in Europe, anyway, um, at the time. Ah, interesting, interesting. Um, okay, so uh, plowing on, uh, further in the second paragraph, you write, quote, being frustrated in their aims, the colonists then began to wreck and smash in the general vicinity. I love that turn of phrase. That's great, wreck and smash. It's almost kind of like, I don't know, childish, that sort of language. Um, mm. But I totally see people of this kind of persuasion using that language. Uh, wreck and smash in the general vicinity, a destruction that carried on for several minutes until a relief force of Marines aroused from the barracks came upon their rear and subdued the mob. Um, not even related to this prose, but that phrase, and carried on for several minutes, I'm always astounded as to how quick violence can be or how quick and effective violence can be. Um, like the notion of a battle occurred and the battle lasts for like an hour and there's like 20,000 people dead. Um, 
Because I always think of these great, like, uh, I realize this mutiny isn't a great militaristic event, but when mm-hmm. I think of militaristic events, I always think, like, oh, this must be an incredibly prolonged thing that lasts days, weeks, months. But very often, some of the most devastating, devastating things just ca- happen in the flash of an eye. I guess the most extreme example being, like, the, the atom bombs, um, where it's just, like, incredible destruction in a few minutes, and then it's kind of all done with, or at least the immediate effects are all done with. Um, yeah. That just popped into my head uh, during that bit. I'm not sure if there's anything there to comment on, but um, giving it to you live, Bill. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The ringleaders of the mutiny have been identified through interrogation of the prisoners. Uh, Our investigations are ongoing and we seek to determine whether this was a singular event or part of a greater campaign of action. I have to under, I have to believe that that means respect to this colony town, not in general, because clearly is this not related to all the other agitation and discontent that's been going on in the uh in 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 the in e-cairn i mean it's it's part of the same social um feeling social movement but he's being a little bit more specific here that there is a so yeah what you're you're saying is right that it's it's to do with with this company town maybe that it's in explicit uh, communication and in concert with other actions taking place in other colony towns or in other um, company locations. Um, but what it would not count as that if it was these guys did this independently and then some other guys did something else independently in another location. Mm, okay, okay. Um, I feel like I explained that very poorly, but you get, you get what, I'm, what I'm saying. You had Edgar levels of verbosity there, <laughs> uh, but but you got to the point in the end, and I'm glad you did. Um, the anything about these prisoners? Because you just say we we interrogated prisoners. Like who were these prisoners? Any notable people amongst them? Any people that the management would ever be shocked to see, uh, etc. Or is it just random grounds folk goons? Um. So they. they killed some but uh, arrested most of the of the, the the mutineers um I would imagine there'd be some kind of small officers among them but no one very very high up okay um no one of particular note yeah um okay. and they were largely from the the colony side of things they were largely uh people who'd, who'd been transplanted from Lansk Okay, uh, you, you say here the, the full extent of military discipline would be applied to all the prisoners, whether company or civilian, as an example. Uh, first of all, I think that's a, that's not normal, is it, for, for people to do that, to apply military discipline to civilians? It seems like a massive uh, overreach there. Yep. And then also, also, what is military discipline in this context? Like, are we talking like they all get, you know, brought to a firing line or... Like we're just made do laps of a field somewhere. Like, what is this? No, they'll be executed. They'll be ultimately. executed. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's the preferred Besky ex- ex- uh, execution means? Are we the hanging, firing line? We're going to get demonetized for this. How wonderful! <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, mm. not not firing squad because they don't really have small firearms. Interesting. I never thought to to quiz that. Do they have yeah. large firearms? Like, do the ships have cannons on them? Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Should we talk about batteries of cannons before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Interesting. They don't have small firearms. Oh. There's a hole in the market. Someone should try and, like, miniaturize that tech. Yeah. 
Maybe the Bani could bring it from a different planet. It's not, uh, guns isn't really their thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Um, uh, I love the, 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 the penultimate paragraph where you're like, uh, the writer of the letter says, Servant says, I accept no responsibility in this affair. Um, and I'm going to work on the assumption, yeah, she, she, like he is the depot, depot commander. Like, it doesn't even matter if they did something wrong. It ultimately should lie on them, you know. Um, mm. It should be their responsibility. But I think they clearly see that that is the case. And they're like, but yeah, no, I'm not accepting any any um, uh, any responsibility. And in fairness, they do say that they warned about the mixing of, of things. But like, I don't think it's good enough to be like, I as depot commander was like, hey, this might go wrong. And then it does go wrong. It kind of shows that you're a bit crap at your job. You identify a potential problem and then fail to... Um, proactively prevent said problem from occurring. So I'd imagine Servit is probably in a lot, will be in a lot of bother um, with Benvin or with the superiors. Am I, I got the correct read on that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he, he's not wrong in what he's saying. He, he did try and warn them. Um, in fact, that was a, a letter that I brought onto the podcast a few episodes ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, he's not wrong in that, but he is definitely kind of trying to cover himself here against uh consequences for what's happened all right awesome uh so the final thing i have here is um at the very last paragraph i await the tribunal officer's rapid response can you tell us a little bit about what said response is going to be whose heads are going to be on the chopping block is it servant like we said or further um servant is definitely going to be in some kind of trouble uh, he is trying to shift the blame to uh, Gary. Is it Gary who's in charge of Lansk? Oh man, I need a, a quick, easy to access character sheet for for myself. Um, the world has grown. The world is growing. Yeah. So, oh, hold on. Bear with. Bearing. 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 Sound does a bear make? They roar. They do, but I don't think if I roar, it'd be very bear-like. I believe. I'll just—you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to—I'm just going to cut in um, a bear roaring. That's what I'm going to do <laughs> right now. Here we go. Three, two, one. Bear. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yes, yeah, Dajak. Dajak is the Dajak guy in Lansk. Yeah. Okay. Um, so he's probably trying to push a bit of the blame that way for allowing so many um, insurrectionists and agitators to get to the colony town um, and not have them sufficiently dissuaded of their ideology. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably yeah, probably where he's going to try and direct most of the most of the the fallout. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah. Very good. There was my points. What have I missed? Nothing really, I don't think. About the, the full extent of the military discipline thing, um, mm-hmm. Servit is knowingly doing that um, as a kind of a rash, unexpected action. He, he knows that that's, it's going to be kind of controversial. Um, but he's hoping that he can kind of legally get away with it, that they were, they were bearing arms um in the depot and thus legally uh had caused themselves to be uh company forces um they like they they loopholed themselves into being company forces so he can legally get away with it that's right such 
he he's doing a Obama administration redefinition of what warfare is. Um, uh, not dissimilar. Sort of yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, except except it's weird because he's using it to get them uh, identified as his side in order to punish them legally that they're considered to be on his side. Oh but yeah, wait, and it suddenly cursed me. It suddenly cursed me. It, that isn't necessarily an Obama era thing. Is that a Bush era thing? When did they rejigger what war is? Was that Bush? I don't know of a specific thing like that, but I. I is it the an enemy combatant is a is a male over fifteen who's in the war zone? It's yeah, that, some that of that kind of nonsense. Thing? Yeah, some of that nonsense. Where they where where basically lawyers started doing war and yeah. trying to legally Israel. Is that? I, I have to think it's in response to nine eleven. So it would be a Bush administration thing, and maybe it was just like taken to the next level in the Obama era. I can't remember. Um, someone someone will undoubtedly correct us in comments. Um, but yeah. Okay, we do some Abeski Lang, briefly. Let's do some Abeski Lang. All right, Abeski Lang. Stuff has been happening with the Abeski language. Uh, last time, as mentioned in follow-up, we talked about a number on nouns. Uh, you made the call as uh, to saying that you want a singular plural distinction. Mm-hmm. You didn't want to go too ham with the distinctions, but you also like the idea of an associative plural and the collective noun in the context of treating several entities as a distinct unit. Mm-hmm. Um, see follow-up for more on that. Um, so I have implemented this, I'm, or rather I'm beginning to implement this in the reference grammar. The links are in the show notes to this reference grammar. As always, folks, feel free to check it out. Um, be warned, though, it is a working uh, document, so there's going to be lots of messy notes everywhere, etc. So you can check in on it every couple of weeks and you'll see it change and update etc um so for future listeners they're going to click on it and be like wow they've done verbs oh they've done an awful lot of stuff here but as it currently stands uh we are just beginning with with the nouns so um here's the system i came up with i'm going to talk you through it you're going to tell me if you love it or if you hate it um and uh, suggest alterations right based on your your sensibilities uh i want to just just uh, make it clear no alterations is a viable strategy and i would opt for that if at all possible (laughs) um so singular versus plural distinction nouns what we're doing is we are going to divide the nouns into three semantic groups human nouns animate nouns and inanimate nouns right okay and we're going to we're going to say that any inanimate entity does not receive any plural marking so that's the sheep-sheep thing, except it applies to all inanimate. So you'd say, chair is here, chair are here, right? No marking on the noun for any inanimates, okay? Interesting. Intra- well, it's something that really isn't that interesting, but you're not, you're, not, um, you're not offended by this so far. You're okay with that. Not mad about it, but we'll see how we'll see how the the whole system sounds. Not mad about it. Okay, okay. Uh, then for animate nouns, so a, a non-human animate, so any noun that refers to a non-human animate, they take a suffix which I've tentatively marked in as ku. So if you had a word like uh, tanka, uh, it, to pluralize that, it would be tanka ku. Um, and this ultimately came from Proto Besky, the word for herd. So you get like dog herd to <laughs> to mean dogs right um 
and that applies basically to just yeah any non-human animate noun it's a very regular suffix it doesn't do too much to the noun it doesn't mess with things too much other than it causes some nasals to change sometimes um in certain contexts so there's a little bit of jiggery pokery uh, that can go on there but not too extreme um the human the hu- any nouns referring to humans um are th- this is where it gets the most complicated um they can either take a h suffix or they either take a h suffix or a h suffix depending on various factors or much like in irish the final consonant gets palatalized right so if we had a uh, a noun like say ma singular plural that would be mach right if we had a, a noun like say me plural that would be mech so there's ch, ch, distinction and then if we had a noun like man uh, that would be like man with the n palatalizing um okay. as a suffix and all of this comes from proto like here uh, which meant party party in the sense of uh, like a hunting party like a group um so it'd be like man party a hunting party of men men etc Mm-hmm. Um, so the way, so the basic shtick is that the more, uh, kind of the more animate the thing is, the kind of more complex the marking, uh, becomes for the plurals. And there's also the fun distinction in that some of your human nouns are going to naturally in the singular end in a palatalized consonant, right? Therefore, they won't take plural marking in the sense of you can't palatalize a palatal consonant. So there's kind of a weird thing where all inanimates don't take marking, but some human nouns look like they don't take marking purely because you can't palatalize a palatal. So it kind of like synchronically creates a bit of a messy little system, um, which I, I think is, is a little bit interesting. So that's that's the breakdown and what I was thinking. I want, I want your thoughts and whether or not there's anything you particularly hate about this and I will go away and amend. And again, I remind you, no change is a valid thing to say. <laughs> The, the last kind of sting in the tail there kind of convinced me about the, the not marking plural for inanimates. That's kind of fun. I mean, not marking plural for inanimates is like a very common thing. This isn't a weird, wacky thing. This is just, you know, the least the less animate it is, the less you kind of give a crap about it. So it's just like chair, chair, done. Who cares? But regardless, if you're happy with that sting in the tail and you're, that means ergo happy system, are you happy to move on and give me the green light on this? Would there be other ways, like in context of of discerning whether someone is talking about a singular or a plural? Oh yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Like the example, like with sheep, like you say, a, a sheep is here, but multiple sheep are here. Yeah. So you got number marking on the verb, so you'll always be able to discern what's going on. It's just the noun itself doesn't yeah. inflect. Yeah, that, that's what I figured. Um, yeah, cool. Let's go with it. Okay, cool, cool. All right, um, the I, I'm going to skip the associate pro. We'll do it at the end because that's where the the, the next the, the big kind of innovation I guess happened. Uh, collective noun. This is really simple. Uh, this is just it comes from uh, a proto word meaning bundle. So if you have like a stick bundle, you get a collection of sticks to treat it as a as a as a um, unit, and it comes from the proto is uh, set. Uh, which I believe in the modern means that it becomes a uh, sheth. Yeah, sheth. So to, if you had like a word like man, to put it in the collective, you'd have man sheth. 
Um, and that would be the correct noun. That's basically it. There's very little of intrigue there. Um, in that, I didn't want to go too hog wild with every single marking with all this weird conditional stuff. That's a really straightforward thing. You want to make a collective noun, you put shath on the end of it. Thoughts? Yeah, I like that. Okay, cool. And then uh, the associative plural. So here's the big invention. It occurs to me. Remember we talked about what the associative plural uh, is. It is, if you were to say John's uh, in a language that has associative plurals, that would be John and those associated with John, not many individual people called John. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So it suddenly occurred to me that your surnames, like Yarte Yarchlen, and uh, if we have the associative plural come from a word that means kin, right? You could very easily see it as Yar's name being Yar, Yar, Te, son of, Yar, Yar, and then Hlen, kin. So Yar, son of Yar, kin. So maybe our associative plural is kind of a very common surname strategy on this world. So instead of Johnson, like John Johnson, you have John John Kin. So John, son of John, and those associated with John, like Clan John sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, which I think is actually quite cool. And it would mean that the associate plural would receive an awful lot of prominence because from this point on, should you accept to go down this route, every, a, a lot of the time you want to be ending surnames in Hlen to kind of highlight that. Um, which I think is cool. And in the same way, like in IRL, you get an awful lot of surnames that end in son, like Butcherson. You know, Matterson, lots of sun. Uh, yeah. If you if you do the same here, we can kind of push the associative plural to the um, forefront, which I think is quite interesting. So as it stands, associative plural comes from proto-kin, uh, which in the proto-word, uh, proto-lang was lien, and that turns into hlen um, in the modern. So, thoughts? That's cool. Um... What about the te part? Because I remember there being a bit of disagreement or something about that. Yeah, I think the te, uh, and just for listeners again, uh, to use yar, yar, te, yarlen. That's like a three-part name. First name, then te, this conjunction thing, and then yarlen. Uh, the te in the middle there, I think the best thing we could do with it is to make it a son of or daughter of. Uh, so yar's name would be literally uh, yar, son of, yarkin. Yar, daughter of Yarkin. I think that's the best thing we could do mm -hmm. with it. Or it could just be a genitive, like Yar of Yarkin sort of thing. Uh, we'll have to see about that. I don't think that necessarily has any effect on whether or not we treat the Schlen part of Yarklen as an associative plural. Sure. Uh, I don't think that would muck with that. Are you vibing with this? Yeah, I think so. Ah, okay, cool. All right, well, that's the system. There you go. That's all there Ooh. is to it. Um, again, check out the doc. Now, oh, the big thing I need to talk to you about, I need, I need you to backtrack on a decision you've made, uh, if at all possible. VSO, right? All of these forms that we talked about, the adding suffixes onto the end, they basically are happening because I'm treating the lang as SVO, as an SVO word order, as a head final lang. Um, you had mentioned that you want VSO, you like VSO. I'm I'm going to advocate pretty strongly that we don't make that the dominant word order because I, I the more I think about it, the more I think your names really do imply a head final line. 
and VSO is a uh, is strongly correlated with head initialness, so the opposite of what we want. So I'm going to lobby hard that we change the dominant word order to SOV. Thoughts? I don't like SOV. Oh, okay. Oh, it's, well, talk to me. Why? It would make my life so much easier, man. <laughs> I don't know. Just, I don't know. It doesn't, doesn't seem right. Okay. Could I, could I sell you on it um, if I were to say that we could try and bring in other word orders uh, in other places? Um, so, for example, I could totally give you your VSO word order in, say, questions. You, you throw the verb at the front to ask a question. So you'd see other word orders, but in a sort of basic utterance would be SOV. It's actually very common, SOV. But yeah, it's it's like, it's it's the, the stock one. Like, it's the one that's just everywhere. I remember we talked before about how there's like notions that SOV would be like, can be considered like the basal uh, order. Um, yeah, it's super common. Super, mm. super common. Okay. And, Thank you. Thank you for saying that. And I'm not even going to like let, give you time to walk that back because I, I basically need it to be SOV. For anyone listening, uh, you might be asking, well, Edgar, why not use some of the other uh, orders that um, are are tied correlated to head filingness, like o- OVS or whatever? We're not, that's just not an option. Like SOV is basically the only one we're doing here. I've considered that. It's not, it's not happening. Um, do, do you, do you, are you okay with the idea of getting your VSO word order in in different clauses like questions, etc. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So as in, or I'd to like rephrase, that. yeah, to rephrase, you specifically would want that to like negate the amount of SOV you see, correct? Yeah. <laughs> okay, great, 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 great. Okay, thank you for letting me do that because, yeah, without, without doing that, the order of all the suffixes would basically have to change in this instance and I'm not liking that at all. Um, and it just makes, it, it just makes more sense with the, with the collection of words you have, um, and the way names are formed, etc. So, uh, canonically we're saying dominant word order, SOV. I'm not allowing you to take that back. <coughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, that is, that is basically it. Now, uh, I had intended on doing a big old talk about, uh, gender, uh, or class with you today. But video making took precedence, unfortunately, and I'm 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 rereading uh, a, a big book on class at the moment, so that will be a next month sort of thing. But just just a quick thing. Oh crap! There's two things actually. Sorry, back up. No, let's not back up. Let's do this thing. Okay, uh, quick little thing. Just a quick yay or nay vibe check. But we'll go into it later in detail. Class, yay or nay? Do you want to have something like? masculine feminine or something like swahili where you have a whole bunch of things like that do you want noun class um definitely not a masculine feminine probably not something as um as classful as bantu languages um i could i could get behind like an animacy distinction okay um uh, i guess just as a vibe check on a scale of one to ten one being i do not want a ten i'm here for class where would you place your feelings at this current point in time i don't feel that strongly about that's a great number between one and ten bill well (laughs) ask ask a question that i don't like the premise of get an answer that you don't like the premise of (laughs) (laughs) sure okay so you're not you're okay you're not wedded to it we'll take it that way not wedded Uh, to it yeah case case do you want this language to be a case language 
do you want to have lots of nouns ending in case uh, to indicate what what's going on uh, with them? I find it hard to think of how to do things differently than that. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, you can totally have a caseless language. It's, it's entirely fine. Um, you just have a bunch of prepositions everywhere and no case. Um, but are you... Do I take that you're wedded to the idea of case then? Not that I'm wedded to it. I just, I, 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 I don't know enough about caseless languages to okay. conceive of it easily. Okay. So yeah, a bit, case. bit of case. Bit of, smattering a case in there. Yeah. Uh, and you mentioned you're still okay with the idea of no deafness marked on nouns. So you've no like a dog or the dog. It's just dog. I had said that, hadn't I? Yeah, let's go with that. Okay, uh, great. So following on from that, it occurred to me, so the usual way that I get an indefinite marker, uh, so, you know, to, to evolve something that means a dog, uh, the a thing comes from the word one. So one dog, and that grinds up into meaning a dog. Uh, now, if you don't want that, I was thinking maybe it might be an idea that we could use a similar strategy to get a singulative uh, number. And so what this is, is if it's like the Welsh thing. Uh, where you put an affix on a noun and that specifically means one of the thing, right? Uh, the utility of having this, you totally don't need this at all, but the utility of having this is that it, it leads some nice derivation. So for example, if you had a noun for water, okay? Mm-hmm. If you put a singulative on it, like let's just say there's a suffix that's a and you had water, that would mean a single instance of water or for example, a drop, so you could derive the word drop from water. Um, same thing if you had a word for hail, for example, and you put like hail a, hail in the singulative, you'd be like one instance of hail. So you get a hailstone from that. So it's a kind of a very useful uh, derivational sort of thing. And again, we're not going to use the word, I'm imagining it would come from one, and we're not going to use that that to get us an indefinite marker. So it frees it up to get a singulative, if that's something you you vibe with. I do. You do. Okay. Right. Making a note. In fact, I don't need to make a note of this. I listen back to this podcast in editing. I'll make a note then. Um, <laughs> great. We'll chuck in We'll chuck in a singulative and then we are good. Okay. Next time I'll talk to you about uh, class and or case. We'll see in more detail. Um, yeah. Okay. Cool. Questions or should we move in? Should we talk politics in the green room? <laughs> uh, yeah. Let's solve all of the geopolitical crises. Done. Let's do it. I want to talk politics, Bill. Um, Are you okay with talking a bit of politics? I'll give it a try. You give it a try. Okay, so we're in 2024, folks. And as we all know, this is a big year for voting, right? A very historic vote is going to occur in 2024 and that quite frankly this vote can like shape the future of just like society in 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 general as you can probably tell this is i'm taking a piss here a little bit um so i want to talk a bit about this historic vote and that vote is of course not the american president's election but it is in fact the 39th and 40th referendum to the irish constitution which i know we all care about so if you would just permit me about 10 minutes to just talk through this and honestly before everyone just turns off 
um, you switch us to a different podcast. I think this is quite interesting because Bill and I have talked before, or more I have talked before, about how awful the Irish Constitution is. Um, it's just not, it, it's a document that has not aged very well. Uh, and I think this is going to be a sort of interesting look into that. So anyone, particularly from the States, uh, in general, whose constitution is quite good in terms of flexibility, um, this might be an interesting little insight into how how it's done <laughs> in elsewhere, you know? Um, and also, I kind of just want to like, um, I, I know, like, I guess for very few people, Irish people listening here, I want to encourage you to register to vote if you aren't already done so and go out and vote on this. This is, given the demographic of people listening here, this is going to be an absolute no-brainer. This is not controversial. This is like a, a any person listening to this would be like, yeah, I agree with, with Bill and Edgar's take on this. So this shouldn't even be like a, a heated flame war uh, at all. Um, ready, ready, Bill? You want to go? You want to do it? I'm ready. Okay, so there are going to be, unlike the States, right, Ireland is perfectly happy with, like, liberal amendments to its constitution, in no small part, because, again, the thing, it's it's just not very good. Um, so we're on the 39th and 40th Amendment. Now, if I recall correctly, that doesn't actually mean there's been 39 to 40 referen- um, amendments to the constitution. It means that there's been 39 to 40 attempts to referend uh, to, to, to change the constitution i think that's the case um do you nearly. Any, nearly so now in modern times like if you um attempt to pass a referendum like for example the 35th amendment didn't pass in 2015 and then the next one is the 36th amendment even though the 35th amendment never happened but uh, earlier in the, in the history of the state, that wasn't the case. So there was a couple of attempts uh, at like a third amendment, and the, the second one did pass, and it was about a, a different topic. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. Was the was the one in twenty fifteen that didn't pass the Senate vote? Presidential age, I think. Oh yeah, the presidential age. Oh yeah. So, just, I'm sorry, we're already off topic. We're not off topic. We're going to make it longer than ten minutes, folks. Non-Irish people, have a listen to this, right? Um, we had a chance to lower the age at which someone can become president. A, an entirely symbolic role, might I add, um, from uh, whatever it is now down to 35. Was that was that what, what it was? From or 35 f- to 21. To 21, that's it. And we rejected that because, like, kids are stupid, I think. And admittedly, I actually, I think I was on the wrong side of history there. I actually voted to keep it at 35. In hindsight, there's nothing wrong with 21. Who cares? Um, that I think that really should have passed. Uh, but uh, we also had another one recently, well, in the last number of years, where I can't believe they actually put it to us, but they wanted to abolish the Senate which is like the second like legislative kind of, not legislative, but the second like uh, arm of government. Like ever, as far as I'm aware, every yeah, single like- legislative. Oh, it is legislative. There you go. Every single like Western or advanced democracy has multiple heads to the hydra that is government. And the idea of having like these two houses and then just taking away one is kind of, it was all, it was a bit weird that they asked us to do that. Can you imagine if in the States it was kind of like, we propose an amendment to the constitution, get rid of the House of Representatives. It's like- what are you doing? Why would you ever do that? It was insane. It was nuts. We rejected that uh, that amendment to the constitution, and we do still have a senate and like a parliament, uh, which is 
kind of important, I would imagine. Um, but I'm sure someone will tell me why I'm wrong about that. Um, now, anyway, anyway, so we're on the 39th and 40th referendum. I'll leave a link in the show notes to do this. I just want to read through this stuff because, boy, is it old-timey. Brace yourself, folks. A legitimate, like, trigger warning incoming here. Some of this is awful. Um, so... Uh, the 39th Amendment, which we're going to vote on, uh, it deals with Articles 41.1.1 and 41.3.1 of the Irish Constitution, both of which relate to the family, capital F, right? Uh, here is uh, what the current Constitution says. Uh, quote, The state recognises the family as the natural primary and fundamental unit group of society and as a moral institution possessing inalienable and imprescriptible rights, antecedent and superior to positive law. That's the first paragraph. And the second paragraph is, the state pledges itself to guard with special care the institution of marriage on which the family is founded and to protect it against attack. All right, so that's what our current constitution uh, is, the wording of the current constitution. So if we vote yes on this amendment, what we're going to do is we're going to amend that paragraph and we're going to change it into the state recognizes the family, new text here, whether founded on marriage or on any other or on other durable relationships, end of new text, as the natural primary and fundamental unit group of society and as a moral institution possessing inalienable and imprescriptible rights, antecedent and superior to all positive law. And then removing any reference to uh, the family being founded on marriage. So, yes, folks, our constitution, hard baked into our constitution, is the notion of without marriage, there is no family. Why that needs to be in a constitution, right? <laughs> so, like the rules governing the running of a country, why we need to shite on about what is and isn't a family is beyond me, but we're finally getting around to changing it. So, Irish people, can we vote yes on the 30 night referendum, please and thank you? Bill, any input? <laughs> I mean, I think it's that way because it was written by priests. <laughs> I mean, that's it. Yeah, yeah. A bunch of a bunch of boyos who didn't have a great foresight and in a in an environment uh, heavily under control of the Catholic Church, like totally. Um, and a lot of the problems does stem from a lot of problems with the Constitution stems from that. But I still think it's nuts that like it's been what over a hundred years, or actually, how long has it been since the first Constitution? Uh, is it like it's been hundred years? Is, is it since the first one? Um, I can't. I can't remember. Um, it's taken us this long to do it. You think this would be a no-brainer? And particularly because, like, the the influence of religion and stuff has way. It's not like that's a very very recent thing. I mean, it's recent-ish, but it's been like, what a generation at least two maybe, um, since the Catholic Church are kind of stranglehold in the country. You know. Um, but in any case, there you go. Hard breaking the Constitution is a definition of what a family is. And it's based on marriage. So we're, we're, we're uh, attempting to get rid of this. Um, okay, so that's the First Amendment, the 40th Amendment, the next one we're being asked to do. Um, we are going to cut a bunch of text and replace it with new text, right? Uh, here's where the trigger warnings creep in a little bit, folks. So brace yourselves. Uh, Article 41.2.1, in particular, quote, in particular, the state recognizes that by her life within the home, woman that's verbatim, woman, gives to the state a support without which the common good cannot be achieved. End quote. Second paragraph. 
Uh, quote, the state shall therefore endeavour to ensure that mothers shall not be obliged by economic necessity to engage in labour to the neglect of their duties in the home. End quote. It's 2024, people, and this is what's still in our constitution. So we're voting to get rid of that and then replace all that nonsense with the text. Uh, the state recognises that the provisions of care by members of a family to one another by reasons of the bonds that exist between them gives to society a support without which the common good cannot be achieved and shall strive to support such provision. Uh, that's what we're replacing with. So essentially getting rid of all the sexist language, which, you know, again... Given the demographic watching the show, this is a no-brainer. So, uh, Irish people, please go out and vote yes on the 40 referendum. Uh, sign up for it. This is this. There's absolutely no reason for this language to be in the constitution. Um, and mean, the, the, the existing language is pretty bad. Um, I'm not sure what the point of the the replacement is either. Like, what's what's the value of that language in the constitution? Why why is that? Why does that need to be in the constitution? I mean, that, that actually is fair. I suppose I was just so happy to see the overt sexist language go away that I, I yeah, no. neglected but, to think about whether there's any utility at all in saying these words. Yeah. No. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I think we should get that bit out, but... Yeah. I mean, um, I, I think... Yeah, you see, the thing is, I was about to say, I, I do like the idea of uh having some okay so for, for, for folks right uh ostensibly i'm a youtuber but really what i am is a carer like i look after my uh old and quite ill father that's basically what i do all day long as opposed to actually doing youtube um that's only half choking as well so and there's a bunch of kind of like privileges i get because of that because of being a carer to someone um i like the idea that the state will support and provide for people in a position like myself but whether mm. or not that needs to necessarily be baked in the constitution i think is a is a whole separate thing like that could just be a law um as opposed to something in the constitution so yeah although i guess if it is in the constitution that law can't just be overturned and nothing there to replace it which they could do if it wasn't in the constitution i mean that yeah that is fair that is entirely fair but although like a lot of the laws surrounding carers in the home in in ireland are like they're so in the government's interest that they'd never just they'd never overturn them um because mm. functionally what's happening folks just to peel back the veil a little bit the government are essentially pay carers to look after <clears throat> pay families to look after their elderly uh family members uh they pay them a kind of like a it's not a basic wage, it's below a basic wage, but it's 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 a quite decent as far as welfare goes. Um, uh, and they do so because it would cost the state like an order of magnitude more if they were to be put into a state home, for example. So they're essentially paying you to be to be carers. It is in the government's best interest to keep all of that welfare going. Otherwise, suddenly they have a whole bunch of expenditure that they may not be able to, to cope with. Um, so I don't think there's necessarily a need for a constitutional, uh, to have it like codified in the constitution there. But in any case, it is good that just from a pure, this is very lib language, so I'm sorry, but just from a pure like optics point of view, you kind of don't want language in the constitution that's like, you know, the, the woman's duties in her home. It's nice that that's going away. Yes, um, no, no yeah. disagreement on that. For sure. Um, so yes, please go out and vote yes to these things. It's it, 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 This won't change anything to do with Irish culture at all. It's all just like, you know, correcting ill-conceived words. But yeah, it'd be great if you could vote yes. Um, the last thing I'll say real fast is I was looking through 
the uh, prior um, referendums, just to see like what 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 is it that we've been asked to change, particularly uh, outside of my lifetime, right? Because I remember the, uh, the amendments that I um, I voted in. Uh, but like I wasn't around, unfortunately, or fortunately rather in the like the 60s and the 70s as to what was going on there. And to my horror, to my absolute horror, the, the government tried to twice in our history remove our beloved voting system. Right. So for people who don't know, Ireland operates under PRSTV rules for voting. That's proportional representation, single transferable vote. As far as I'm aware, according to all like political maths nerds, it is the best system for appointing uh, representatives. Um, it has the least shortcomings. Its only major problem is that it's cumbersome and takes a long time to like shake out. Uh, and I guess maybe it encourages everyone to move to the middle. Uh, so it, it 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 dissuades extremes, which could be both an extreme, uh, both a good thing or a bad thing, depending on your on your position. Um, and it's it's cumbersome. You can't just like look at a number and be like that number bigger than other number. That person win. It's a lot more involved than that. Uh, but in general, it's seen as one of the best, if not the best, voting systems. And twice, twice in 1959. And again, in 1968, they tried to get rid of STV voting in favor of like American style or English style first past the post. And I was horrified to find out that the initial vote in 1959 uh, was overturned by a margin of 51.8 to 48%. So like just by the skin of our teeth, we we, we, uh, kept intact one of the cornerstones of what I think is a functioning democracy. Because I think so many of the problems with the various flawed democracies in the world is the voting system. Like, if you have a poor voting system that leaves it opening to gerrymandering, it leaves it open to, like, eventual descent into two-party systems, all that sort of jazz. It all stems from the way in which voting occurs. And we just, we nearly lost this golden thing. And then I find it hilarious that later on in the 60s, it was defeated by a margin of 60.8 to 39.2. They were like, you asked us first time, but we said, no, don't do this again. (laughs) So I'm so glad that our forefathers um, decide, or our ancestors rather, were like, no, not first past the post. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy about that because like, oh my God, the problems of first past the post is insane. Um, so yeah, there you go. Politics corner with Edgar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, oh, the Fifth Amendment. Sorry, I'm just seeing it here. The Fifth Amendment in 1972, it passed. But again, we were asked to remove reference to the air quote special position of the Catholic Church and to other named denominations. There is so much religious coded language in in the order still is in the constitution. And that's for people listening who are religious, because I know we have some religious listeners. That's not to say like, you know, religion bad. Um, I just think uh, having it hard baked in the constitution is probably not a good idea. Separation of church and state, I think is a good, good thing. And also like, you know, the never question of why the supremacy over of one religion above another, like why does the Catholic church get a mention uh, and not like, I don't know, like Shintoism or something. Um, there, there's problems with that as well. So I think it's just, it's, it's overall better for everyone if, if there's just a separation. Uh, I'm all for religion. I'm all for people practicing religion. Um, but yeah, I'm hammering it in the constitution probably isn't ideal. Um, anyway, that was Politics Corner. Goodbye, everyone. See you next week. I'm out. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything to add before we wrap up? Are you going to be voting uh, no on everything? Um, 
I'll be voting yes, I think. Yes, yes on them. That's the one. All right. I, I, all right. You were trying to figure out which one you should do. I was like, Bill, obviously we're voting yes. Like, do we even need to think about whether or not we remove sexist language from the Constitution? No, I, I was just making sure I had the, the outcomes yes, lined the up correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, good. Uh, and uh, yeah, like I said, everyone registered to vote, etc. And it's really exciting because, like, I I really enjoy politics. Like, I really enjoy talking politics. I I realize it's it's an absolute like minefield. But I think a good conscientious talk of like how society organizes itself is an important thing to have. You know, I really enjoy this sort of thing, and I really enjoy engaging in the political process. But it's been so long since we've been asked to vote on anything. I think because I think it's was it pre pandemic. When the last government changeover happened? Or was that during... No, it was pre-pandemic. It must have been. Um, so that's like three, four years ago. Yeah, I think um, the last election was in February 2020. Right before yeah. the pandemic. Wow. Huh. Shortly before, yeah. I think so. So we're coming up on four years without a vote and i'm just so stoked to be able to vote on something again let's go <laughs> like i i genuinely really love it i don't understand people who are just like i hate voting i'm like it's great crack you get to go on to the polling station mary's going to be at the desk you'll get to say hi to mary she'll ask you how you're doing you could be like oh i'm grand how are the dogs it's great crack i love voting <laughs> In case anyone hasn't realized, I live in a very rural area where this sort of interaction occurs. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's us. Same. Folks, uh, thank you so much for watching. Um, thank you for listening. Thanks for being in chat. Hello, chat. I love you. Um, I hope you enjoyed and we will see you uh, next month. So until next time. Edgar, Edgar out. out.